0: Buenos dias and welcome to the Cross Point Living Room. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and we're grateful that you're with us today. Myself and my family and twenty other adults and students are in Reynosa, Mexico, serving on a a week-long mission trip at Isaiah 55 Deaf Ministries. And thank you for praying with us as we are serving there. Isaiah 55 is doing some incredible work in the city of Reynosa. As a church, we support a couple students down there in their deaf education, as well as supporting Darren and Jane Friedinger, who are on staff full time with Isaiah 55. Our vision speaks of being driven to reach people. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, not only here locally in our own circles of influence, but cross culturally to the ends of the earth. And so we're grateful to partner with Isaiah 55, as they're reaching the deaf, not only with language, but ultimately the good news of Jesus Christ. So as you can see, we're trying out something new this morning with putting the message on video. It's somewhat of, a, of an experiment for us to see how this goes. I don't know about you, but I've been greatly impacted by teaching done through video before. Because at the end of the day, we believe it's not myself or the communication vehicle that changes lives, but rather the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's Word that changes hearts and lives. So, th- so thank you for uh, joining with us today as we try this out. If you have a Bible... Open it up to the Song of Solomon, chapter 7. If you need a new Bible or need a Bible in general, uh, feel free to grab one of the free ones at Guest Connections because, again, we believe that God speaks to us and reveals who He is, who we are, and His incredible plan of salvation through the Bible. So if you need one, please grab one after the service. Throughout this series, I've said in the beginning of the message that if you have children with you who are 6th grade and under, I would encourage you to take them back to sun now. Some of these su- Sundays deal with subjects that just aren't really appropriate for their ears, and so I encourage you to take them back. Today is definitely no different in regards to that. Throughout the series, I've been trying to strike this balance between being honest and upfront with what Scripture is saying, but also understanding the context in which it's being delivered in a living room full of adults and students. So there are times when I'm letting the poetry and the verses in the Song of Solomon uh, speak for themselves, probably not you know, being direct, as direct as I would if it was a a marriage retreat or couples gathered in a room. The language of this book gets pretty warm at times. And I love that because in this book, God has given to us a beautiful and challenging picture of what romance, intimacy, marriage, and sex is intended to look like between a husband and wife. There's absolutely uh, nothing fuddy-duddy about this book. And throughout this series, we've been watching a couple, Solomon and his his wife, his bride, walk through the stages of a relationship. Early on, chapter 1 was all about the attraction between a man and a woman. And we saw how they were attracted to one another because of the character they saw in one another. He saw how she served others and she was faithful. And she saw how he was a man of integrity and respect. Then in chapter 2, we see this uh, couple dating one another and pursuing a relationship. The courtship began, but they went about it with a lot of integrity. They're walking in the light and avoiding sexual immorality. The temptation to cross physical boundaries was increasing, but they are continually saying, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. They're not only guarding their own hearts, but guarding the hearts of the other person. Then in chapter 3 is the wedding. Chapter 4 was the honeymoon and we saw Solomon and his bride enjoy one another fully. And love was no longer told to sleep, but rather to awake and be aroused. Because intimacy between a husband and wife is something that God has designed. It's given to us as a gift to be enjoyed in marriage. So sex is neither God nor gross, but rather this is a a gift. And at the end of the honeymoon, we see the Lord tell Solomon and his bride to eat and drink their fill of love. But anyone who's been married for any length of time knows that marriage is not absent of conflict. And we saw that occur in chapters 5 and 6. If you missed any of those messages, I encourage you to listen online because in this little eight-chapter book, we've been given this incredible uh, window into what dating and marriage is to look like. And I don't want you to miss any of that. Today we're in chapter 7. And in the stages of the relationship, this this chapter kind of captures Pretty much the years between the honeymoon, that initial conflict, and all the way to till death do us part, or what God has joined together, let no man separate. So depending on when you got married or how long the two of you live, you're probably talking, uh, potentially talking decades of living as husband and wife. One pastor has said this time frame, this, this, uh, this, this chapter captures the deepening of the relationship. The world, or the world would say, or even what many of us might say, is that marriage is pretty much as deep as it's going to get just a few years in. As if the wedding, the honeymoon has happened, and, and from there the, the relationship kind of just slips into a rut. It doesn't really change too much after that. The passion, attraction for one another uh, decreases with every passing year. And then at some point you hit this plateau of sorts, and you end up si- simply putting up with one another or enduring or tolerating the other person. I tell you, that is no vision for a lifetime of marriage and love. It's not what we see here in the Song of Solomon. And I pray it's not how cross-point marriages will be in the years to come. So my hope is that we'd allow this book to really speak to us, to change us, and to cause a spark where we need sparks. Some of your marriages are going strong, and so this series is a tune-up, if you will. It's pointing out some potential weaknesses, places that, that need to grow, attitudes that need to change, actions that need to be changed. Some of your marriages might, might feel like you're kind of slipping into this mentality where you're just putting up with one another, sticking it out for the kids. And I pray that you'd allow the Holy Spirit to do some transformation in your hearts. And if, if compared to cancer, that, that you would catch it at stage one so that healing and chemotherapy and work can take place. And some of you are in crisis, and if the cancer is at stage four, you feel like your marriage is kind of six to nine months of life left, I pray you would reach out for help. From a staff member, an elder, a leader around here at Crosspoint, we can help connect you to some solid biblical counseling that will help in the healing. My hope is that no matter where you feel your marriage or relationship is at, that you would know that you've got people around here who love you and are willing to walk with you. The devil would love for you to think that you have to fix this on your own or that you shouldn't raise your hand because you would feel shame. And all of that, all of that I say, is just a lie because the healing actually takes place in the light. This is a safe place. So trust God that he works. One way he works is through his people, through the body of Christ. We'll work our way through chapter 7 go all the way through chapter 8, verse 4. If you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to take some notes, underline key words to you, write some notes in the margin or in your program because the goal is not simply information or knowledge, but it's actually transformation, application of what we're learning, to take what we're learning and apply it. So Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, he says. Solomon has praised his wife for a lot of things, but this is the first time we see this. He praises her feet because here's the thing. His knowledge of her has deepened. He's noticing everything about her and loving it. That freckle, that dimple. My wife has this little scar on her forehead that I don't think I even noticed before we got married. I love that little thing. When she smiles, her her eyes do this certain thing. She has perfect little ears. I love what her face looks like first thing in the morning. I'm not sure what she notices about me. That could be kind of a scary conversation. I guess you could ask her. But I think if, you, if you're married, the, the little things, are, are we noticing these in the other person? Because if we've lost sight of these, I pray that the Lord would remind us of them this week. And not just externally. But what are the things in their character, their life, their words that you love? Those little quirks, those little quiet things that they do that often go Unnoticed, So we see here how Solomon appreciates his wife. And he's using his words to express that appreciation. He isn't going to just assume that she knows or that those little things uh, don't matter because they do and he's going to notice them. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess's daughter. Solomon sees his wife as royalty to him. And this is not just because he's, he's the king, but this is all about his perspective, how he elevates her in his life. So he will lay down his life for royalty. He will serve, sacrifice, love her. Men, do you express this often, that your wife is like royalty to you? Do you express that in how you respond to her, interact with her, listen to her, speak with her? Wives, now don't misunderstand what this is saying. This is not reflecting somehow or implying that she was arrogant or proud or kind of coming down from on high as if if her husband was, was some sort of slave to her. Because remember, we've seen over and over how she respects Solomon. She comes alongside him to serve, to care for, to love him by laying down her life as well. In marriage, we're called to esteem one another, to treasure the other person. In doing so, we are, we are obeying Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourselves, especially the neighbors that we live closest to, those that live in our same Houses that oftentimes, sometimes, on given days, might be the most easy to take for granted and not show love to. Solomon continues, Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. On the honeymoon, Solomon is, is generous in his praises of her physical beauty. And, and maybe we hear that and go, of course he is it's the honeymoon he's the he's a man this is the first time he's seen his wife naked he's having sensory overload of course he's going to be liberal in his affirmation of her beauty but here what we're reading here takes place long after the honeymoon possibly even years later and he's still remarking on her graceful legs now do you think her legs changed at all sure they did because she aged and with age brings physical Change, but with age, does not bring with it change in how he views her, and that she is still captivating to him. Why, if sometimes your husband speaks these words of affirmation to you, they remark on how, how how they still cause this kind of ruckus in their heart when you walk in the room. You still cause a ruckus in their heart, or they tell you how they love your legs, your feet, your 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 face, your well. You can fill in the blank. It could be all sorts of different things. But when when they tell you these things, sometimes you're quick to dismiss them as truth. In basketball terms, you shot block their encouragement. Wives, don't dismiss your husband's words. He's not just blowing smoke here. He's not just trying to get you into the king's chambers because he's read the song of Solomon. He's he's been listening and he knows not to do it that way. Receive his words instead as honest words and true. Allow your husbands to fulfill his God-given role to tell you that you are still beautiful in his, in his eyes. Husbands, we've talked about this a lot, but wives are very sensitive about their personal appearance and physical beauty, so be generous with your words, especially if your wife is knee-deep in diapers and the slugs of motherhood and the, and the world of just kind of spinning multiple plates at one time. So here Solomon's praise of his wife actually deepens. I guarantee she doesn't look the same way she did on the wedding day. Because frankly, the wedding day, this is an all-day experience with all of all hands on deck, somebody doing the hair, somebody doing the makeup, buttoning up this. Taking hours to get ready. Rightfully so, because it's the wedding. So has her, so, so she's changed her appearance. Her appearance has changed, and I'm sure Solomon has too. But has his praise of her stopped? No. So we don't see that. Verse 2. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. What in the world? Your navel's huge? Your belly's like a mound? That does not sound very complimentary. On first glance, maybe you think that he's suggesting that she has wheat belly and she needs a new diet. But that's actually not the case at all we have to understand the Jewish context in which this was written. In Israel at the time, there were, there were two great seasons for crops. A spring crop and a fall or autumn crop. Spring crops were grapes. Fall crops were wheat. These crops were seen as a blessing from God. It was evidence that God's hand was on their life and he was providing and blessing their lives. So wine refers to a spring blessing. Wheat refers to an autumn blessing. In short, he's saying, darling, you are a blessing from God. You, as my wife, are clear evidence that God loves me, cares for me, and is gracious toward me. You are God's gift to me. And as a result, I will love you and care for you with that in mind. I've told my wife oftentimes that no matter what happens in the future, when it comes to calling, jobs, money, family changes, for better or for, better, for worse, for richer for poor, sickness and health, if I have you, if I get to share life with you, if I get to join you on this adventure called marriage and life, then I'm going to be grateful to God. The longer I'm married, the more I realize what a gift Heather is to me. Then God's prom- providence, he brought this girl into my life when we were juniors and is still using the same woman for nearly 22 years to speak to me and to love me and to show me what the gospel looks like in real life. And that's not saying that she's perfect, because neither one of us are. I could tell you how I fall short of perfection. I'm sure she could tell you how she falls short of perfection. But I am saying that when I lay my head down at night, when I'm stressed out or I've just had a really hard day, when I've just lost a basketball game when I felt like I blew it as a leader or as a pastor or I blew it in my personal life, no matter what, when I come home, I can see God's blessing in the gift of my wife. Husbands, are you seeing your wife as a blessing from God? Have you started taking her for granted? If so, repent of that today. Ask her forgiveness. Pray out loud. With her by your side, that the Lord would change your heart. Wives, is your conduct, your attitudes, your words, how you love your man, is all of that reflecting that you are a blessing from God? Have you taken on a critical spirit toward your husband? Or just kind of been especially nagging? Have you neglected to show him generous love? If so, repent of that today. Ask your husband's forgiveness. Pray out loud. Hold hands with him by your side asking the Lord to change your heart. If you haven't noticed yet, you will in the next verse, but their clothes are off, and they're naked and unashamed with one another. And wives, you should know that in general, your husbands love to be able to look upon his wife and not feel like he has to look away or or get the idea that, 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 that you want to hide from him. You should feel this freedom and desire to show your body to your husband. Your husband wants to see your body. You're his wife. Most of us men are visual guys. Being visually generous means that you're intentionally exposing the parts of your body to your husband that you don't show to anyone else. And that kind of visual generosity communicates love to your husband. Husbands, in those most vulnerable of times, use your words to build up, affirm, speak life. And and Solomon is continually doing that. We've seen that throughout this this book. And with all of that in mind, verse 3, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. The same analogy that he used in the honeymoon. It reflects a tenderness and a gentleness that still remains to this day in their marriage years after the honeymoon. Marital intimacy over the years can wane and diminish. The fire can grow cold or simply smolder. It can and will do exactly that if we don't work at this. Sex between a husband and wife can become selfish. I get what I want. I don't really care about him or her. He gets what he wants and he just kind of goes to sleep. The wife is, is left feeling uh, used and not loved or cared for. The wife can begin to use sex as a, as a tool of man, as a manipulation to get what she wants. Or sure, that's fine. Let's just get this over with so I can get back to what I need to do. Our sinful hearts, if not continually under the lordship of Jesus, if we're not walking in a spirit of humility, can slip into this very self-serving mode of operation. But we've seen in this book over and over how their love for one another is selfless, especially in the context of intimacy. Solomon is just as tender, five, ten, twenty, thirty plus years, into marriage as he was on the honeymoon. As a husband, I lay down my life to romance, care for, pray for, love, and affirm my wife. As a wife, Heather lays down her life to love, respect, pray for, serve, and affirm me as her husband. Husbands and wives, don't stop pursuing one another. Because remember, marriage is, is, is in the light of the gospel. And in, this, in, in light of the covenant relationship we share with Jesus. Jesus. And, we, and in that, we see that Jesus keeps pursuing us and he loves us and his love for us does not diminish over time. But it's actually just as unconditional as it was the first day we got saved. That, that moment of salvation, that first day, that, we, that, that, that day that we gave our lives to Christ, his love for us is as unconditional as that day as it is years and years on into Eternity, His love is eternal, steadfast and strong, and so we're called to reflect that same kind of love to one another, loving one another just as Jesus has first loved us. Verse four: "Your neck is like an ivory tower. Now, no tower has ever been built out of ivory because it'd be way too expensive, but this means that she is beyond compare. And Solomon is saying, "I can't even calculate how much you are worth to me, my darling." Your eyes, are the, your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bath Ribbon. In Heshbon, there were two pools, and they were a place of, uh, to escape to. Think all-inclusive resort, think spa, sauna, a place of rest. So when you've had a very difficult day, when the world has been harsh, when the boss has been unreasonable, when the kids were at each other's throats or didn't listen very well, when employees were disrespectful, when the volunteer quit, when the program didn't run as it should have, when you're in need of escape, then I know when I look in your eyes, they are going to be a source of comfort to me, a place of rest. And Solomon is saying that when I'm with you intimately, just us together, that everything seems to fade. Wives, are your eyes speaking comfort, relief, and love to your man? Are you serving him by just sometimes just listening to the struggles of his heart, the day at work, or the dreams that he has for the future? Are your eyes reflecting respect or something else? Solomon's need for his wife has only increased. Husbands, are are you still demonstrating your need for your wife? See, the typical posture of us guys is to say, I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone but me. I don't need community. I don't need friendship. I don't need accountability. I don't need mentoring. Or in our dating years, we're quick to tell our girlfriend, baby, I love you. Baby, I love you. I, I need you. You're my treasure. But then, as we move into marriage, we can forget that God has still designed us to live in community with our wives. That that male bravado in all of us guys can can fall into this um, where it's not only impacting our relationship with our wife, but with our friends. More importantly, it's keeping you and me from giving. Uh, sometimes it's, it's keeping some of you from giving your life to Christ. Because you think that you're man enough to enter heaven alone, or that hell won't be that bad because, well, you're a man. And I can assure you both of those thoughts, both of those cases, you're wrong. See, real godly men walk in humility. They know what it means to say, Jesus, you are greater. And so I will serve, follow, and love you. You died and rose again. You beat death. Well, then I will live my life devoted to you as you are my Lord and Savior. See, real godly husbands understand the incredible God-given role of their wife. And so they listen to her wisdom. They listen to her discernment. They share with their wives how life really is. They're vulnerable before their wives. And they're saying with their words and actions, Honey, I need you. You're a gift from God. And so I don't want my life to, I don't want my actions, my life, my words to give any other impression than to say, I need you. Solomon goes on, your nose is like a tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Again, that doesn't sound like much of a compliment. Honey, your nose is huge. But in reality, it's just another compliment. The tower of Lebanon was there to look out for the enemy. It reflected security and defense. And Solomon knows that his wife is in his corner. That when she is in public, when she's with her friends, when she's with the kids, that she's not going to cut her husband down, but actually build him up. Jesus, number one cheerleader. Honey, I believe in you. I love you. I respect you. I will follow you. Those are humbling words. Right, ladies? But they speak volumes to your man. For me, I know that Heather is my number one cheerleader. Now, that doesn't mean that she doesn't speak truth or tell me sometimes what I need to hear versus what I want to hear. But it does mean that when the world out there, when might have said otherwise when my own mind might have said otherwise i have a wife who is cheering me on praying for me spurring me on and pouring courage into my heart wives your words matter your nonverbals matter eye rolls are extremely extremely loud your nonverbals matter just as much as your words Proverbs 31:10 through 12. Listen, a wife of noble character who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Some of you wives need to go home today and apologize to your husbands. Or go home and ask your husbands today. Let this be maybe some questions to consider today. Wife to husband, do you trust me? Do you feel respected by me? What are the things I do that you know that I respect you, that kind of demonstrate my respect of you? What are the things I do or don't do that actually make you think that I disrespect you? And then simply listen. Be open. Have a grace-filled conversation. Solomon continues, verse 5, Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. This was a beautiful piece of land. This was the crown of Israel. And Solomon is saying, your head is beautiful. It's meaning uh, his respect and admiration of her is off the charts. Proverbs 12, 4. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. See, Solomon's wife is, is this crown because of her character, sweetness, faithfulness, kindness. Husbands, it would do us well if we would recognize that we married up. And wives, hopefully you'd say the same thing. But husbands, to say, the greatest thing I can do in this life, the greatest thing I can give my life to is to love my wife well for the rest of my life. That the greatest praise I could receive in life is that I have you as my wife. Ladies, are you walking and living in such a way where you are the praise of your husband? Pursue Jesus. Live your life devoted to Jesus. Grow in the grace of God. Remember who you are in Christ. The greatest way that you can love your husband is to love Jesus more and more and more. Because then, that growing love and obedience and faithfulness to to Christ... Will overflow to your husband. Your hair is like a royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses, Solomon says. Solomon is the king. Nothing and no one is above him. He's king. He has all the power he can obtain. And here he's saying, despite all of that, I am a husband who is captivated by my wife. So when I'm with her, I don't treat her as an employee, a slave, a less than, a child. I don't make jokes. She's the old lady. I better obey her. Because none of that demonstrates respect and love to her. I'm held captive by her love. Solomon's devotion to his wife has only deepened. He's a one-woman man. He's faithful to his wife. Again, we see this progression of words of affirmation, his daily, hourly, weekly, respect, love, admiration of her. It's just continual. He is showing that. He's remarking on on not just her physical beauty, but her character. And now we see the marital intimacy occur again. It overflows from a healthy, love-filled relationship. Verse 6. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. He's remarking on how he loves to be intimate with his wife. That she is delightful and she is an incredible gift to be with. Life can sometimes feel a bit like a desert. Harsh, sun scorched, kind of walking through the sand, draining the life out of you at times. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes the grind has a way of wearing you down. But then, then in the intimacy between a husband and a wife, when the door is locked, The kids, if you have them, have gone away. And God has given you this oasis with one another. In an oasis, there's usually water, palm trees, fruit or something to eat. With that thought, verse 7, Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters, clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree, I will take hold of its fruit what does that mean? Well, it means what it says. I don't think we have to go find a commentary on this one. Go for the simple, plain interpretation. He desires his wife. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples. Not only is there intimacy mouth to mouth, but also mouth to body. Fruit, grapes, apples. It means this, our intimacy with one another is delightful. It nourishes me, Solomon is saying. It's a gift. Intimacy with one another is is one way where marriage is strengthened. You want an indication of your health in marriage? Look at the physical intimacy in the relationship. And I'm not talking a frequency thing here. I'm talking about the tenderness, the affection, the way you serve one another in the midst of sex. All of these verses, again, are not from the honeymoon night. And so the fire for one another, is still, it's still there because they're working to cultivate it. This picture is one that is highly sensuous, just as it was on the honeymoon night. And keep in mind also that this picture is very worshipful and glorifying to God in the context of a husband and wife relationship. He says, "...the fragrance of your breath like apples," verse 9, "...and your mouth like the best wine," and then she begins to speak. "...may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over my lips and teeth." He begins verse 9, and she finishes it. They're one flesh. So she thinks his thoughts and vice versa. They're finishing one another's sentences. The wife has begun to, to, to think his feelings and think his thoughts. She is responsive to her husband. He is responsive to her. She's not cold toward him, but responsive. Wives often feel that sex is this obligation in marriage. And some of that is because, maybe because of past hurt, or sin, or relationships. But keep in mind, just be reminded that God is bigger. His heart for you is to experience healing and restoration. See, this, this woman here says, My beloved has passion for me, and so I want to minister, serve, and love him the way he feels loved. Her love for her husband is deepening. Again, this is, not, this is, not, this is reflecting the selflessness of Christ and not the selfishness of the human heart. In marriage, we live our lives now for the other person. Verse 10, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Desire, this means to consume or passion. She's saying, my husband desires to have me or consume me in the most intimate of ways. And you husbands are saying, amen, preach it, brother. I do desire my wife. And the more you're getting into this chapter, I desire my wife even more. But, but husbands, don't, listen, don't miss what led to this, this point. It was not simply because you walked in the room or it wasn't simply because you made an appearance. It was not because you neglected her for 23 hours of the day and then expected her to respond or to show you desire in hour 24. She's responding to him because of his continual love toward her. Again, wives, I say that not to give you fuel against your husband. I say it to charge us men to love our wives well for the glory of God. Verse 11 Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. She's speaking here, and what is one simple takeaway? That she desires time with her husband. It's springtime again. Their love for one another is still growing and blossoming. They're away from the house together alone. Heather and I have learned that we need this in our life. We need this in our marriage. We need uh, at least one weekend a year, maybe three or four days in the middle of a week, away from work, kids, demands. We need that once a year. Not saying that we don't date one another well at other times, but we need to get away. We need to get to the countryside to spend some nights in other villages. It's healthy for us. And I think it'd be healthy for your marriage as well. Verse 12, let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Whoa. And Solomon is saying, when and where? The carriage is ready. Let's go, honey. Let's go. So, what don't we see in this book so far? Well, a couple things. We see no mention of kids or a job. Did they exist? Well, we know at least a job did, King Solomon. Maybe kids, we're not sure. But what we can gather from the absence of those subjects is the priority of the marriage relationship. It wasn't centered around kids or the jobs. All those things came second. And so you make every effort to leave work on time to avoid allowing work to consume your time together. You tell the kids that we need a date and and you draw some healthy boundaries where they see you prioritizing the marriage in your home. What you see in Solomon and his bride is their willingness to catch the little foxes that we talked about earlier in the series. They spent time together. They're intentional about setting aside that time together. When we're intentional, when we are intentional about being intimate with one another, we are saying to our spouse, "I'd rather be with you, right here, than anywhere else in this world." Sometimes Heather and I have said after the fact, "Why were we tempted to choose any other activity? Whether it was watching TV or getting on the internet or working, going to sleep? Why was I tempted to do any of those things?" Rather than simply be with you in our oasis, these are foxes that need to be caught. Verse 13, the mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at their door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. She is saying that she has some fruit to give to her husband. She wants to be an oasis to her husband. She's saying, I I desire you, I want to give you new and old fruit. Now, what does that mean? Old fruit. This is a certain way that there's a certain way that you show love toward one another through the years. How you hug, how you hold hands. Are you interlocking fingers? Are you clasping? How you kiss, which way you turn when you Hebrew kiss? And so I want to love you in ways that I've always loved you. New fruit, meaning this is not just routine, we're not just robots. We're not just in some uh, sexual rut where we do the same thing the same way, in the same order every time. And so she wants to be spontaneous. She wants to enjoy new fruit with her husband. And we think that we have to go outside the Bible to find something sensuous, or that our God, who is creator, doesn't then call a husband, a wife to be creative and reflect that creativity as they enjoy one another in an adventure of intimacy. Be reminded this picture is beautiful to our God because this is his creation. It's his gift. And it's intended to lead us to worship him. Like the Lord said in chapter 5 at the end of the, at the, end of the honeymoon, Eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. So Solomon and his wife are heading off together. Their passion and and love for one another has only deepened and increased. And she continues, chapter 8, If only you were to be like my brother, who was nursed at my mother's breasts. Then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. In a Jewish context, it was not appropriate for a husband and wife to show physical affection in public. But it was appropriate for family members. So she is saying, I wish you were like my brother. I wish you were my brother so in public I could kiss you and show my affection for you. Is this saying that, that, that you should make out an Hebrew kiss on the public sidewalk? I don't think so. That would be awkward. It would be awkward for me walking by you. All right, But I think we are often far too shy to show affection toward one another in public. After I coach a basketball game, after I uh, preach a message, for instance, uh, specifically with preaching a message, I often get off the stage. The first thing I do is I take off my microphone and I kiss my wife. All right? So don't be afraid to hold hands or husbands to put your arm around your wife. Remember, the, the, the idea that we saw earlier in this book, his banner over me is love, that there is a public identification that she has with this man and this man has with this woman. And again, this is not just the physical affection in public, but using your words to affirm your spouse in public. She concludes with a reference to the most intimate of positions. Again, we've seen it before in this book. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. She's saying, I desire him. He desires me. They're committed to deepen their marriage for a lifetime. And then finally, verse 4, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you: do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Again, she's making the statement we've seen it twice already, and this isn't necessarily a reflection of their own relationship, but a charge again to single women that sexual love between a husband and a wife is a beautiful thing, and it starts prior to marriage, where we honor that gift that God has given to us. Imagine. Um, Laying in a bed with a a bad mattress. Think like sleeper sofa. And over the course of the night, you kind of find yourself having rolled to the middle. Stuck in this kind of uncomfortable position in the middle of the bed. Maybe the intimacy in your marriage has, in a sense, rolled to the middle. Settled into a rut. Not just physically, but how you treat one another how you talk to one another, how you listen to one another or how you serve one another outside of sex. And I pray that this week our patterns would be disrupted. Our hearts would be stirred and we would love one another well for the glory of God that, that whatever next step that God has given us out of this chapter this morning, that we would obey that next step and we would trust him on it. in our relationships with one another only grow. So you, you see the relationship between Solomon and his wife only deepening through the years. And my heart and my prayer is that our own relationships with one another in marriage would only deepen in the years to come. And like we've said, that would only bring the Lord so much glory and reflect the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are I thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, I pray that you would spur us on this week to love one another well. I pray that the conversations that need to happen, I pray that we wouldn't shy away from those, but we would lean into those. And you would give us abundant grace for one another. We'd be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger. God, I thank you for your continual love toward us, pursuing us, chasing us down. Lord, I pray here for the person that doesn't know you yet as Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would come to know you. They would repent and believe the good news. God, I pray for the marriages that are in crisis or struggling. I pray that you administer and do work. I pray for the marriages that are strong. I pray that, that, that action would still take place, that we wouldn't get complacent, but we would still pursue one another. We want our, the way we love our spouses to ultimately bring you glory. So I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. There are volunteers available uh, up here as part of the prayer team, so I encourage you to, if you need prayer, come up here, meet someone new before you leave. If you're new with us, make sure you fill out a guest connection card. And leave that with us next week. Bill Allison will be with us preaching on the next few verses in chapter 8. So I'm thrilled about that. Adios and have a great week.